Hello and welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. My name is Terry and I'm happy to say that I hit my goal of getting two Patreon subscribers last week. So thank you so much to Sarah and Alexandra. Now, I just need two more for this week. So if you've been thinking of becoming one of those people, here's something that might entice you a little bit. I've created an easy to use, filterable list of every single podcast. That's over 200 at this point. With this list, you can filter by topic, guest, industry, country, and more. That means if you're looking for an episode on, say, how to create and pitch your own show, you can simply filter the list by the word pitch and find all episodes that cover this topic. I've also included all the guests and their social links for you to easily find industry relevant guests and follow and network with them. So for example, if you're a storyboard artist looking to connect with other storyboard artists, just filter the list by the word storyboard and you'll get a list of all episodes that have storyboard artists as guests and their social handles. This Rolodex, as I'm calling it, is available to all Patreon subscribers, meaning if you only sign up for $1 a month, you'll get full access to this, which can be a great way to figure out how to up your skills and network. And the link to my Patreon is in the description of this chat. This chat is with senior art manager at Foraxis Games, Kay Vassi, and her journey coming out as trans in the gaming industry. She also shares how she switched from TV and feature film animation into CG gaming and built the team that created Fortnite. She also gives an overview of the skill level needed for technical artists and dives into the short film she's currently producing. So without further ado, let's jump in. Well, okay, how are you doing? I am doing great, and hopefully you are as well. Yeah, I'm doing great. I just had a coffee. Uh, I'm chatting for the podcast. It's all good. I, I, let's 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 get right into it because you know we had an extensive chat beforehand, and I learned a lot about uh, your career and you, which I think is amazing. And um, you know, one topic that I haven't touched too much on this podcast is kind of uh, coming out in animation, and like you know, predominantly historically, animation has been very male. When I went to school, you know, that was that was a big concern for me because I was coming back. My first experience in school, you know, I wasn't out myself. And then going to Sheridan, coming out during that process, I was very scared. But the landscape changed a lot since I was in school originally. So, yeah, tell me tell me about your experience, because I think I think you have a lot of um, interesting stories and, you know, experience in, in this that people might be interested in hearing. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Well, so, um, and, and just for listeners of the podcast, I am trans femme, uh, male to female. And, um, yeah, it was, it was very interesting coming out in the games industry in particular. At the time that I came out, I was 39 years old and, um, was the head of technical animation on Fortnite Battle Royale, uh, at Epic Games. And so, um, and, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but it's definitely something that I had been dealing with since I was a little kid. Yeah. And, and I think it's one of those things where, um, you know, you're right in that the landscape has changed now. So I don't know that this holds true as much as it did in my generation, but I know a lot of, a lot of the ladies, um, and guys in, in sort of my age group who are trans, um, we definitely sort of, um, achieved and overachieved and tried to find other things to focus on to sort of, to sort of, um, you know, fight that battle. And so that, that has sort of followed me all the way through. So at the time where I realized that I was going to have to make 
the hard decision. I was well into my career, um, a few studios in, as a matter of fact, and had been a supervisor, had had, you know, movie credits above the fold, as they say, and um, was sort of in this position of, you know, being being a, a leader on the number one video game in the world at the time, which is kind of crazy. Like that, that wasn't necessarily a bucket list item that I had growing up. I mean, video games was, but that in particular, I never really sort of planned for that. So it was an interesting, it, it was an interesting time to make that choice. But, um, you know, I feel like all, all trans individuals, non-binary, like, there is this there's this fork in the road where you have to make that choice whether you you choose to come out and potentially lose everything in your life every person you your perspective at that time is just pretty much i'm going to make this choice and i'm going to be alone and nobody is going to ever want to associate with me ever again it's a complete restart right um or you know there's that that darker path that 45% of the community tends to take, which is, you know, suicide. And so, or I think, I think the term now is unaliving. I think that's more of like the, the, the younger way to say it, but um, you know, it's a hard choice. And so quite frankly, um, I, I was terrified of losing everything and um what for for people who are interested, what sort of swayed me into choosing to come out and fight and be as bold as possible was the fact that um, I knew that even if my kids uh, completely disowned me and hated me for doing this and didn't want to have anything to do with me, that it was more important that I still be on this planet to help them when they need it because they don't know that they're going to need help as they get older and grow up and do these things. And I was like, I can't, I'm not going to abandon them. Like they've got to, they, they, they will need me at some point and I'm going to be there whether they want me there or not. And so that was kind of the, the decision. Um, and then I, you know, and I hadn't really given a lot of thought to it being the games industry when I came out. Um, and this was right around, you know, we, the the there had been Me Too. There was a lot of the Activision Blizzard stuff was going on. Like, there's always been this sort of this sort of idea in the games industry that it was super male, super bro, super sort of um, uh, cisgender, hetero, white male dominated, which is true. Um, that's that's a fact. Like a hundred percent of the time, um, and I, I didn't really, I didn't really know the roller coaster that I was going to get on when I came out in that situation. But um, yeah, it was a wild ride. It was a wild ride. Um, and it's one of those things where I don't think you can, until you walk the path, I don't think you can quite understand, especially going male to female, right? Which tends to get a lot more spotlight than female to male because our society is so structured around the white male that why would I ever want to switch teams? Why would I ever want to go to the lesser team, right? Which is this unfortunate way that we operate as a society, especially in the States. It's like, why would you choose to be a girl? Girls can't throw a ball. Girls can't run fast. Girls can't do this stuff. Girls can't be leaders. Why would you choose that? And um, 
you know, first of all, it's not really a choice. It's who you are and it's just accepting who you are. Right. I've always been a girl. And so um, there's a stigma, though, when a person like me comes out in a male dominated area, that's like it's very uncomfortable for me and super awkward for me. And it's super uncomfortable for them as well. And so um, especially in a leadership position, because all of a sudden, uh, you know, I, I I remember going to my leads and I took them to lunch and I said, so, you know, I've got to tell you something. Um, I'm, I'm transgender and uh, I've been dealing with this all year, been, you know, therapy, doctors sort of preparing this runway to land this plane on. Right. And um, it's going to happen. And it, we were nearing, we were nearing December and we were going to have a holiday party. And this was happening like the Friday before the holiday party that I came out to everybody. And I let them know that when I came back in January, I would be presenting Femme and I would be going by K and um, moving to legally change my name and do all of the proper legal things that, that you have to do in the States to to make that happen. And so the leads were like, okay, all right, we'll, we'll do what we can do. And um, so I ended up calling a meeting. There was about 30 people there in HR that Friday morning and in this giant conference room at Epic Games. Um, uh, it was like the main conference room on the first floor. It's like, right. It's the big one, right. The big showy one. Um, I had everybody just staring at me cause I was their lead. I was the, I was the one that was setting their work. I was the one giving them feedback, running dailies, going to all these meetings, running Fortnite as far as tech anim goes. And I told them, I said, you know, um, I'm trans. This is how this is going to work. And, uh, I'm going to, uh, I, I will not be presenting until January when we come back from the holidays, but um, I will be at the holiday party this weekend and I will not be presenting or anything if anybody has questions. But and I, I explained things. I talked about it a little bit, kind of like I talked about it here just a little bit ago. And um, it was pretty much crickets in the room, like after I came out, but there, there was a, you know, people did speak up eventually and were like in full support and things like that. But I took the rest of the day off yeah. so that they would have an afternoon with, with upper management and HR to sort of go over things, you know? Um, and largely I, I came home immediately, made a Facebook post, made an Instagram post. And, um, that's sort of that, that began, that was it. That's how I came out. Um, yeah. And so little did I know that the real fun was not going to start until January of the next year. Like that was the, (laughs) that was the, the, the most fun part. Oh my gosh. Um, Well, congratulations. And, you know, I I think you should be super proud of yourself. I'm super proud of you. Not many people in this, on this earth have to make such a big impactful decision about their life in front of everybody else and it's scary and and you know i can't really imagine what you went through it just it sounds terrifying to me honestly to especially make this internal decision have to like come out to your friends and family and then go to your workplace and basically be come out to the entire to the entire company all at once yeah (laughs) Um, well and and the thing was 
there were other folks at the company who were in the community, but none, none in my particular situation. Yeah. So um, it's, it's really, really interesting when you sort of spotlight a, a, um, a trans femme woman or person who, who comes out because for us, it is absolutely, and, and what I, we, we, friends and we throw around a term like baby trans you know like an egg like baby trans when you when you first come out and you do start presenting and you you move into that area it is so awkward it is so so awkward and you're doing your best and you're aware of how awkward it is and everybody else is just like full of stares and so i was the only one walking around in a giant company of white dudes who who was like going through this. Right. And so it's interesting because you start out and it was like, it was like, Kay is still just this weird guy who is dressing weird. Right. Like, and that's kind of what it felt like the response was. But as I got more feminine and as I settled into myself and there's this whole discovery process that you go through to figure out who you are now right? Like when there's no boundaries, who's K? Who am I? What do I like? Do I like the same things? Am I different now? Do I have freedom to be the person that I want, that I am, you know? Um, As you walk in and you start doing that more, you lose your male privilege, like armor, like pieces of armor just are dropping off of you as you walk in. And suddenly your voice doesn't matter much in meetings, and suddenly you're not being listened to and suddenly mm-hmm. your authority goes down and suddenly you're not getting included in stuff. And it's sort of this weird thing where you're stepping into your power and yourself, but because it's feminine and because you left the good team and because you're starting to get to the 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 shape and demeanor and the look that is typically attractive to you know hetero (laughs) cis hetero cisgender hetero men makes them super super uncomfortable so they really want to distance themselves from dealing with that themselves right like it shines a spotlight on them and they sort of want to go like i I, I don't want to deal with that i don't want to face those feelings i don't want to face any of that right and this is actually a topic i wanted to ask you about i'm glad you're touching on it was kind of you know you had already proven yourself as an animator as a skilled technical animator etc working on the biggest game you know for years and years you were already fully in your career have all this crazy experience when you made the transition afterwards did you have to extra prove yourself so the focus was you know not on who you were transitioning but more on still your skill level and you know maintaining that but it sounds like it it you you had some kind of uh, some conflict there. Yeah, no, there was there was definitely some some conflict there. And, um, you know, it's funny. So th- this is going to answer your question sort of roundabout. But there there was uh, <laughs> there were forums for for transgender folks um, going way back to sort of the birth of the Internet. Right. Clearly, trans people have been around since the dawn of time. And we all know that that's a fact. Um, and is well documented and, and, you know, that history all exists and that's like a podcast in and of itself. But um, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's sort of funny because um, 
stepping into that at that time, you you the conflicts do sort of arise and and you sort of have to navigate those you know, when, when you make the choices that you make. And um, I, I would say there's conflict, but, you know, a lot of those forums that I was talking about, they always say that uh, you are not going to be able to stay at the job you come out in, hmm. no matter what. And that's a lot of absolutes, right? But there were people on those forums who were like, coming out in the 80s 90s sort of things and these ladies were all like nope you will not stay at the job you're at you can't you won't survive because they already know who you were and they will never be able to reconcile who you are Hmm. ever 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 and I was bound and determined to beat that statistic I was like no I will not be that person I will not be that person but you know what it's 100% true so, so what you left Epic Games? I did, I yeah. did, yeah. Um, I lasted after coming out. I lasted a number of years, um, and, and some of the minutia there. I'll, I'll I'll give you an example, but some of the minutia there. You know, it was like when I would go to dailies for Fortnite, I'd have to have a producer be like, "Hey guys, I think Kay has something to say." Hmm. Hey guys, I think Kay wants to talk. I think Kay has some, and I, it was just like, I didn't exist, you know? And so, um, that was frustrating for me. Yeah. Really frustrating because I had had all of this experience. I, I had been at DreamWorks forever making movies. I had animated, I had done, I mean, a little bit of everything in the industry now up to this. And we were succeeding with everything I had put in place and, and built for, for Fortnite. And so it was like, what happened? Like, why do, why doesn't it matter what my opinion is now? Right. And it was only one thing I could come up with. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I ultimately, ultimately, um, as, as I, I was lucky in the sense that I was able to get, uh, the medical care that I needed. Uh, and so I went away for surgery and came back after eight weeks and, um, I'll never forget it that Monday morning, uh, I was, I, I had borrowed a friend's car because, uh, I normally drive a Jeep. I'm a Jeep girl. And so, um, for obvious reasons after bottom surgery, you can't climb up into a Jeep. Like you're barely walking and sitting period. So it's like, you know, I had, I had gotten a, a friend's car that was low to the ground so that I could get in and drive to work. <laughs> And I was carrying my donut on my arm, you know, my like, my like cushion donut. Yeah, yeah. And I went in and uh, a person, uh, I'll just leave it at that. A person came up to me in the parking lot as I was walking in and was like, oh, hey, welcome back. And I was like, thanks, thanks. And he went, wait, is that, where? where's the Jeep? Whose car is that? And I was like, oh, well, I had to borrow that car from a friend until I'm healed because I can't climb up into my Jeep, you know, because of because of surgery and he was like oh he's like well I was wondering you know I mean just because you got it cut off doesn't mean you have to drive a girl's car now and I was like excuse me (laughs) what I'm sorry what like that just was a gut punch and that was the Monday morning I came back oh my gosh and it was interesting I, I went to some meetings and and it was silenced still and was like okay well that hasn't changed i see and then it wasn't long after that that they um uh 
you know, they, they uh, pulled me in and were like, we think it would be best if you stepped away from Fortnite. Hmm. And wow. I was like, okay. And, you know, I asked for reasons and whatnot. And they were like, well, you know, it's just, you're, you're just very emotional now. And uh, we just think it would be better for the team to not have that dynamic. And so, um, yeah. Wow. And I was like, okay. So I pivoted away and, and, you know, had to make a decision. Obviously there was rage and yeah. I, I was like, I can't believe this is happening on the day I came back after worrying for eight weeks that, you know, I was, I was gonna not, not be doing my job well enough. And, um, you know, they told me, they told me to go home and rest and chill. And they were like, we'll tell the team. And I said, no, um, I'll be back tomorrow morning. And I would like to tell the team, please call a meeting in the morning and I'll let them know. And so, um, we had just had all these influx of new hires that I had worked on hiring as well as um, the very last thing I did was try and push really, really hard to convert the first female tech animator into the department. She had been doing another job and I was like, I be damned if I'm not going to get her in. And so that went through eventually. So that was my last sort of, that was my last hit to the game. That was the last thing. But and this was like season, I think it was seven, season seven, I think. I could be off a season, but I think it was season seven of the game. Um, and so, yeah, the next morning, kind of bringing it full circle to the coming out meeting, there was another meeting where uh, I uh, stepped down and announced my replacement, who um, was the first hire I had made on the game as a junior and sort of um, brought him up to to the level and so my my like right hand uh my first hire replaced me and i uh i moved on to other things and sort of hung on clung on as hard as i could just pivoting and finding other things to be effective at and and um i mean it you know ultimately it culminated in i i helped start multiple ergs employee resource groups and and uh, was the head of one of those, like a thousand people for a while. It was amazing. And, uh, uh, worked on various projects that are out in the world and, uh, from the company and in the engine and stuff like that. And so, Gosh. yeah, it was eight and a half years. Wow. But, that, I mean, that sounds like a crazy whirlwind, but you know, uh, super kudos and congratulations to your courage to even, you know, even to go with the next morning and say, I'm going to announce it myself. Like, I don't, I don't, I would just be like, all right, I'm going home. You, you announce it. I'm, I'm too upset at this information. You um, know, though, like Terry, I, the, the thing was, and, and here's, and this is funny. This is funny because one of the, one of the dudes who had, had just didn't want me around after I had that meeting came up and was like, you know, that was crazy. Like, good for you doing that. Like, I've never seen that happen before. Like that was, that's like, man, that that's like, you're super strong, you know? And I was like, thank you, I guess. But, um, uh, I had to thank them. Like at that, that time making that game was just a, it, it was a, everybody loved it, the game, but the process was just so hard and so crunchy. And so like, so fast paced and we had worked so hard to make it as smooth as possible so that artists could make art and you know and so um it was it was 
I needed to say thank you to them. Like it was less about me leaving and more about me getting a time to say mm -hmm. like all those times that I had to ask you to miss something and stay on a Saturday or come in at night or call you at 8 p.m. and be like, we've got to fix a thing before midnight or like, thank you for doing that for me. As you know, like, I'm sure you were mad at me at the time. And I'm sure you were like, this call is terrible because you know, as a leader, you make a call. Sometimes it's a good call and sometimes it's a bad call. But you you that's what you're there to do is the consequences either way. Right. Yeah. And so it's like uh, I wanted to thank them. Well, that's I mean, you probably created a very even you said one of the guys came up to you afterwards and said how strong you are. I think that's great. I have two. I have kind of two questions still. One is. um. So before I came out as as gay, I wasn't extremely confident in my art and I was afraid to touch on like certain things like, oh, this pose is too flamboyant or this character, you know, I was afraid to like reveal anything that would that would uh, or do anything that would like reveal, I don't know, my inner thoughts of how I thought of myself and, and my sexuality. But after I came out, like my art improved a lot. I consider that my art and coming out are kind of like too really hand in hand things parts of my identity that have become stronger over time does that resonate with you at all as well with how you consider you know your artistic career after transitioning so much so so much yeah um and it's it, it, what's funny too is when i started going to see a therapist to sort of like i i referenced earlier build this runway to come out right yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, think of it like the fashion runway that you're building and you're going to your debut. Right. Um, it uh, it occurred to me that all of my art through art school, which, you know, I, I have a crazy college art school, kind of like how I got there story anyway. But whenever I would be doing like self portraits or working on my own stuff, I was always beating myself up. Hmm. It was never a self portrait that was in a good light it was always self-deprecating but not in a not in a funny way or not in a a you know congenial way you could see you could see that that ik was trying to to come out mm -hmm. right and so after coming out it was it was freeing creatively and it it opened my eyes in the community to this whole side of things that we don't tell with stories, right? And it's not necessarily, and I'm not necessarily speaking sexually, although there is a market for that for sure. It's just that different types of human beings can exist and coexist. And there are stories to tell in that community that I'm excited to tell, you know? And I think one distinction for for listeners who who may not have thought about this before, but there's a great quote, and I cannot for the life of me remember who originated it. But when you look at the LGBTQIA plus community, the the one thing that sets the trans community apart, and I'm using trans as an umbrella covering gender nonconforming, non-binary, transgender on the spectrum, right? From M to F on the spectrum. Um is that a lot of times it's not who we go to bed with. It's who we go to bed as. Hmm. 
And that's a super important distinction, right? Because a lot of the community is sort of hated for their sexuality. And we tend to get more hate for just wanting to exist and dress cute, right? Like that there it's, and it's a different sort of flavor of hate. I mean, hate is hate, but it's a different flavor of hate. And so that in, in and of itself just spawns so many stories and so many situations and so many things to explore creatively yeah. that it's, it's almost overwhelming honestly, because I'm like looking at the clock and I'm in my forties and I'm like, all right, I guess we're probably a pro let's, let's say we're approaching the halfway mark here. I got so much to do. Like I've got so much I want to get out and so much I want to leave here and tell and, and make. And it's like, it really makes you kind of step on the gas when it comes to that sort of thing. Wow. And you didn't, you didn't feel this before, beforehand, like when you were, when you were male presenting. No, because I was always conflicted. Yeah. And it was always, any stories I came up with were always so bland and they weren't real. There was no honesty in them because they were just full of tropes or stereotypes or things that I already knew existed or, or yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. lame ass gags or whatever. Like it wasn't truth. It wasn't real because I wasn't real. Totally. I mean, I, I, mean, I understand that the types of stories that I thought of telling before I came out were vastly different. And suddenly I felt like I had this, I had this journey inside of me that I never saw in media or experienced as a kid that suddenly I saw myself and my journey totally differently and was looking for stories in the world that would, would kind of show that. And it, I didn't really find anything. So I, yeah, I'm wondering um, if you had transitioned earlier in your life, where do you think you would be at with your artistic career now? Do you think there would be a vast difference in kind of, do you think you would be more in storytelling versus technical animation? Or how do you think that would that would have changed or impacted? You know, that is an amazing question. Um, you know, because I, I grew up you know, I was born in the late 70s. So I'm a Gen Xer. I'm, well, I'm on the cusp between millennial and Gen X, right? I'm the Oregon Trail generation. I was, I, I remember not having the internet, but I also am completely fine, like, you know, rebuilding a PC and right, 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 right. my own devices. So I'm like in the, that, 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 you know, medium area. And it's one of those things that's weird for me to think about because Every time I think about trying to come out in that time in in Carolina where I grew up, it's just a non-starter yeah. because of the environment. I probably wouldn't have survived to have an art career, quite honestly. Like, mm. quite honestly, I don't believe I would have made it. Um, or I would have not had the opportunity to study art and be given. I mean, let me let me say this too, just as a blanket statement for everything we've talked about on my career, in my career. I 100% understand that there is no way I would be where I am in my career right now without having had the ability to rely on my white male privilege up to this point or up to the point where I came out. Now, clearly that changed quickly and I had to relearn a lot of things about how the world works, but um that is that is without a doubt 
True. I don't believe I would have gotten any of the support that I had growing up as an artist and any of the the pushing and any of that sort of growth and let without having been a, you know, blonde white boy at the time, like that would have, I just don't think it would have happened. I think, I, I think it, especially in the South, I think that if I, you know, in a perfect world though, let's say this in a perfect world, if I could have come out at that time younger and still achieved my artistic dreams, oh my God. I would have been, it, it would have been amazing. It it literally, you know, I mean, that's, that's what I dreamed about. That's what I asked for every night. It's like, you know, yeah. I, 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 a lot of trans people, you know, we just spent our youth like laying in a bed, staring at a ceiling, wishing that we would wake up. Correct. Right. Yeah. And so yeah, I, I I probably would have already had like multiple shorts made and like the freedom would have been so crazy. I can't. It, it's intoxicating to think about, honestly. Yeah. I mean, what you said resonates with me, too. I often think about like my growing up and I think everything happened when either I was comfort- in a in a good enough mental space or the environment was supportive enough that I felt that I could, I could make a change in my life, no matter what it, no matter what it was. So, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's why it's especially important. Well, always to keep telling these stories and keep creating spaces for people to exist and, and share their talents and, and all this stuff. So, um, you know, super, thank you for, for sharing all of that information and and your journey. I think that's, uh, again, it's very courageous of you. And I'm, I'm very proud of where you've, where you've come from and where you are now. I'm wondering, maybe one last question. You have, you know, almost two decades of experience before you transitioned and you'd worked on movies and TV shows and and tons and tons of different stuff. Afterwards, have you had to go back? And if you, you know, do those, do you treat those contacts kind of the same or that it's kind of like the Epic Games where like you can't go back to how it used to be with with those contacts and, and companies? Um, <laughs> is that, sorry, does that make sense? No, that makes perfect sense. Um, so far only in the games industry, only in the games industry. So, oh so what's God. different about, uh, television, movie, et cetera, versus games industry? I think it's the people. The types I of think people. it's that, I, I think, yeah, I think it's the people. I think it's that, that, um, I think, and okay, and I'm gonna I'm gonna soapbox here a little bit, and I have no scientific proof of any of this, but let's we're just gonna theorize here, okay? Sure. So having having been around and a kid at the dawn of video games, and spending I, my first job was in an arcade because I wanted free tokens, <laughs> right? And so, um, and and everyone kind of has to understand whenever I give a talk to a large group or anything about my career pathing, when I was a kid, I wanted to do three things. I wanted to be an animator. I wanted to make comics and I wanted to make a video game. Those were the things that were like, I, those were the three things that I could not figure out which one I wanted. So I was like, well, I'm just going to sprinkle effort into all three and hopefully come out with something good. But then when I actually, in 88, 1988, I went to Disney world for the first time and met an animator um, named Harry Holt who had retired and he sat at a desk on Main Street USA doing animation drawings. And I still, I'm looking up at it right now. I still have the Lady in the Tramp drawing he made for me in 88, framed. And um, 
I saw him take a, he did the, he did the thing where he like licked his finger and took a sheet of animation paper and just (laughs) literally drew lady and the tramp. And I, then it clicked for me that this guy draws and these things move and it makes a movie and that sort of solidified that path for me. Right. But, um, you know, I, I think when games came out, um, when I was growing up, the rule was girls don't play video games. Right. Like that was just it. And and right. the girls I saw in the arcade when I was a teenager, they were hanging on the machine because the boy they were with was playing the video game and they were bored. Totally right. Yeah. And so those those ladies wanted to play video games, but there was that social stigma at the time in the 80s through the night. And some did. But, you know, it wasn't like it is now. And um I think that stunted the industry from being able to hire women who were interested and capable and talented artists. Right. But because all of that, and and I just finished reading this book uh, called the, the Queens of animation, right. Which is about all the women at Disney animation. Um, And I think Disney had already being the sort of being the sort of uh, guiding light of people who wanted to get into animation from the beginning, it's always Disney first, right? Like typically it's Disney first. And they had sort of began to solve that equality problem back in the thirties and forties and, and, you know, tried to solve it. And um, I think that industry was doing better with that. So one of my greatest regrets is not having the courage to come out when I was at DreamWorks. I was at DreamWorks for 11 years and I have since, re- I mean, I'm still connected to everyone I worked with at DreamWorks and I've since reconnected anytime I'm out in LA, I'll go by the campus and hang out with everybody. Right. And yeah. the last time I was there at, or the time that I was there after I'd come out and went back and hung out with people I used to supervise and the art directors and production designers and everything, it was so good. They were so happy and it was hugs and it was, oh my God. And they were like, when are you coming back? And da, 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 da. you know, it was just this you could tell that that and some of them had even said that you you know when we worked together previously i could tell something wasn't there like something hmm. the it, it, there was just a dimness about even though i'm bombastic and loud and i fill a room and i was doing that partly as a defense mechanism they were just like there was a light that wasn't quite bright and now it's just it, it's just completely bright And, you know, that was the feedback and sort of welcome that I got from peers in the feature animation industry. And then, you know, being currently in in games at the time, it was like, (laughs) why doesn't this energy exist here? Like, what is the difference? It's so strange. But that said, the games industry is definitely taking a turn and is definitely getting better. And uh, the work I do now is is night and day it's phenomenally better and so um it's it's you know i i just think a lot of that the industry was just it wasn't set up to be equal from the get-go yeah i mean that, that, that i don't have any research to to confirm that myself but that makes a lot of sense I don't, yeah me. no i don't know if anybody's I mean, ever even, even looked into it <laughs> like i had a little sister and like i got a nintendo as a as a christmas gift and she got like barbies like totally different and she didn't play video games and et cetera. Yeah. Um, wow. I, you know, this has been a great chat so far and I'm wondering, you know, like for instance, even when I was at Sheridan college, there were people coming out as trans 
uh, in school, which I thought is amazing. And and now seeing them, you know, co- really come into themselves and start off in the industry already having done that, I think is great. I'm wondering if somebody's listening right now and they're thinking, you know, they're they're they might be uh, pre-trans and and listening to this to hear your story. What would you say to to somebody like that? And obviously, they're in the animation industry. Otherwise, they wouldn't be listening to this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or what, what would you say to maybe calm their fears or, or encourage uh, them to, you know, explore who they are a little bit more? Um, I would tell them that making the decision to come out is is both the scariest and best decision that they could make. Yeah. Um, that the trans community supports the trans community and that, you know, people like me, I, you know, and I will say this too, some trans people, they, and, and this is just across the board, they want to come out, they want to pass, pass meaning that, that visually someone can't tell that they're transgender and they just want to fade into society and live their life as themselves. Um, and then there's some people like me who, who are always willing to be vocal and, and answer questions, even the, the nasty details and the, the, you know, like no question off limits. I, that does, that does take sort of an emotional toll at times, but I always try to reserve some energy for that just in case. Yeah. You know, and I'm one of those people that can be reached out to and, and can, can ask hard questions, right. And get truthful responses. And so I, I would tell them to to hang in there and come out. And if they're in a, if they're in a place where they can't come out for safety, hang in there. Yeah. Like it will happen. You will be able to get to a safe place. And there's no schedule. There's no rush. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And I, I didn't come out until I was 39. And I was just exhausted from fighting. And if I could have come out any earlier, I would have. 100% I would have. And so, um, yeah, it's a scary place to be, but it's, it, it, it will get better. It will get better. Yeah. I think that's great. And I think that's really great that you're willing to answer questions. You also mentioned there's some, there's communities, are there specific, uh, like online animation trans communities that are, you, people can look for and join that you're, you know, of? That, so they pop up occasionally and sort of disappear and come back yeah, and yeah. disappear. Yeah, there's there's one Slack group uh, called Panimation that is a lot of uh, motion graphics, MoGraph. You know, uh, that that industry is sort of um, it, it, it was I rediscovered it a few years ago. And that industry is is on this collision course with like TV and feature animation and and that whole After Effects skill set. And, you know, like there's just this this it's so close. It is so close to the other industry. Um, And they seem to be thriving with with um, gender nonconforming and and um, transgender nonconforming, non-binary cis women who are supportive. And it, it's kind of amazing that that industry is just blowing up like that in that way. And um, there are a lot of message groups and and um, uh, Slack channels and things for them. I know that I know people who are in all those groups. I myself am not. But um, gotcha. that that industry is one to look at for how to do it because they seem to be they seem to be doing well. 
Okay, interesting. Panimation on Slack, you said. Yeah. Got you. Um, so, okay. So you you also mentioned you have so many stories you want to tell, and I want to get into that. But first, you know, what are you what are you working at and doing right now? We didn't even talk about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, so currently I'm at Firaxis Games and yeah. I'm a senior art manager. So I currently am over, like I, I oversee all of the animation, technical animation and cinematics artists at the company. So what, so what does technical yeah. animation mean in video games specifically? Because it, it, I guess it means something different in TV versus... versus yeah, movie. yeah, yeah. And, and it can mean something different based on the size of the video game studio as well. Right. So um, in feature film, if you're coming from feature film 3D, like DreamWorks, Pixar, Disney, that style, you'll, you'll hear what's called a character TD or a character rigger, right? Um, and... Um, Anybody who's done 3D animation understands that you have to rig a character. It's the same thing for puppet animation, right? Or 2D sort of Toon Boom Moho style animation. Yeah. Um, games is no different, except that that task, based on the size of the team, the size of the studio and the game you're making, will has traditionally fallen to the animator to do for themselves or a technical artist, which sometimes they're still called technical artist, colon rigging, right? Is sort of like... I've seen that title and then technical animator, technical animator, technical animation. That is, that is rigging essentially. Um, so the interesting thing is that typically if you enjoy, I will say this to the industry, if you enjoy rigging, if you really, really do enjoy rigging and solving rigging problems, you will pretty much always have a job because they are hard to find. Hmm. And with experience and with good reels and good background and knowledge, they are it, hiring for that role is tremendously difficult. So if you don't sacrifice your love, like don't don't get too far away from where your heart says you want to be. But if you want to be in the industry and and do something creative and technical, that's where to go. Um and, you know, when I started at Epic, I was the only technical animator on Fortnite at the time. And um, we grew the department into the 20s. And at that point in time, I think it was the largest technical animation department in the industry. Uh, and I in technical animation, at least in that context, encompassed not only character rigging, but also sort of uh, system designs for, you know, like animation sharing and... Um, physics setups for for capes, backpacks, dangly bits, anything on a, a utility belt, um, right. setting up weapons, vehicles, pets, um, hair, yeah, physics collisions, anim dynamics, all of this fun Unreal stuff. I actually gave a talk at Unreal Fest back in 2018 or 19. I think it's still on YouTube um, about how we set up the, the part swapping system in Fortnite to be able to to swap out skins essentially uh for save the world and for battle royale and so that's technical animation as well right it's not just joints and weight painting so do you have to have a very kind of mathematical uh brain to excel in this because beforehand you were doing you know tv hand-drawn cg blah 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 yeah uh well you know that's the thing right so I'm one of those interesting people that can operate with the technical side of my brain and the hmm. art side of my brain, gotcha. but, but not at the same time. <laughs> okay. So I, if I can write code 
uh, and this goes back to sort of my my origin story because in college, um, in college it was the late '90s, and um, you know, Toy Story had come out in '95, and it was like, oh my god, here it comes! And so I was like, I should learn this 3D stuff. So I basically begged, borrowed, and stole my way into the VR lab at Clemson University in the summer. Um, so that I could get to an SGI because I knew at that time, and some people listening are going to be like, what's an SGI? Cause I'm I like, what's, into this. what's an SGI? <laughs> yeah. It was the computer you had to have to do computer animation at first. They gotcha. were, they were really, really like hot computers. They were blue. They were cute. They were like gajillions of dollars each. And it was, it was every time you saw a behind the scenes for like Jurassic Park, the computer, it looks, it looks like a Ferrari. Like if you look like at the I, know exactly SGI, this, I looked it up. I, yes, I know exactly yeah, this computer yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, I needed to get my hands on one of those because that's where the 3d was at the time. And so, um, I, you know, when I went to Clemson, I was like, well, I'm going to sort of make my own degree because I want to do a traditional animated film as my senior thesis. And it was such a small art department. They were kind of like, uh, okay. So I kind of built electives um, and I took C++. I took computer programming classes because I was like, that 3D is coming. And um, uh, it paid off because I learned how to code. And so, you know, if I'm going to sit down and write a Python script, um, I have to sort of like shift gears. I have to like shut that part, shut the creative part of my brain down and then focus on the technical. Yeah. And then if I try to go home and draw directly after that, it's terrible until I reset. Right. You need so, like a, you need like two different hats when you put totally. on one, like, you get animation brain, you put on the other one, you get tech brain. <laughs> Usually what I do. So, so, it's funny because usually what happens is what gets me back into animation brain is something like blind contour drawing. Hmm. Right. Just to like warm up, get the juices flowing. Yeah. That's just amazing. to, or, or I will draw with my left hand. I'm usually, I'm right-handed oh, or I'll, I will draw with my left hand. And that is, that's just like my brain crashes until the other side cranks up and is like, okay, all right, now I know what we're doing. Yeah, because I was because um, I know you went to Goblin as well, but I was wondering, yeah. do you like you've been in tech animation for quite some time now? Do you feel rusty when it comes to actual animation? Um, I always, always. Like, I mean, I, always I feel like every animator is going to say that. Forever. Always feel rusty, right? Like <laughs> I think like we Glenn or something. I don't know. Well, I think we all want to be like Milk Call or yeah, you know, like that. Of you know, like, <laughs> um. Yeah, always feel rusty. Always, always, always. Um, like whenever I go to life drawing classes, that's always like the the litmus test for just how rusty I am. That's like the scariest thing in the world is going to life drawing classes. <laughs> um, for fear that for fear that someone would see those. Oh my goodness! Or like going to the zoo to draw animals. It's like I just oh want to be covered completely. Right, you the monkey people. moves, and you're like, there uh, goes my drawing. Yeah, yeah, but um. And then when I'm animating, you know, if there's a technical task that that happens, um, it's either because I'm frustrated or one of my artists like at DreamWorks or whatever would be frustrated with a thing. And I was like, I know we can script around this. And then solving that problem takes over. 
Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then it that spins up the technical side, and then once I see the solution to it, I'm like, okay, I just got to get this down. I've just got to yeah. get this out, and it's dirty code. I'm by no means a developer, quote unquote, but it works. Totally, the the problem solving um, part of your brain takes over, and you can't you can't stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. Okay, cool. So, okay, let, let's let's bring it back to you know the what we were talking about before, where you say you want to you want to tell you, you've you've reached. The, hopefully not the midpoint of your life. <laughs> that's, that's a harrowing thought. Uh, but you have so many stories to tell. And uh, do you want to share, you know, something that you're working on coming up, I guess? Yeah, totally. So uh, a while back, I sat down and wrote a screenplay uh, for a short film that right now it looks like it's, you know, it's going to be about 11 or 12 minutes. And um I had, I had this idea that I wanted to write a screenplay and I wanted to figure out, you know, I wanted to make a film. It's that time. I haven't made a film in a long time because I've been so career focused, just so, so hustling all the time. And I was like, you know, with all the contacts and with all the people and with this industry, I feel so compelled to, to get stories out. Yeah. And whenever I whenever I get a focus like that, I just start rabbit holing on all of these possibilities and the the how what what am I going to do? And I start, you know, how is this going to be production designed and what am I going to grab here and what am I going to do here? And so I I stopped all of that and I wrote a screenplay and um, I contacted friends in the industry and was like, hi, I'm writing the screenplay Um and it is about a trans character and it's about a specific thing that the trans community deals with trans, especially trans women deal with. And, um, you know, will you read it and give me feedback? And I, I won't name drop, but they read it. And, um, the feedback I started getting was minor and, um, you know, there was, there was an agreement to not hold back because that doesn't help anybody. Right. Like you, being well, nice. you said, you want to tell stories that, you know, yeah. aren't being told. So if you're just tailoring it, then that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Be, being nice about and, and I have this problem with students, right? Like there's a nice way to deliver feedback, but like you want <laughs> I know it's going to hurt, but you really want the honest feedback. Listen, like you're going to need this. Students need to, yeah. to get <laughs> a thicker skin. <laughs> you're going to need this. But yeah. Anyway, so um, very little feedback, but everybody kept saying like, this is this has got to get made like you need to mm. make this and so i said okay and um i would send it to somebody else mutually exclusive they would read it and come back and go no this has got to get me you, you need to make this this is wow like i it impacted me and wow. you know i'm a, a white dude in hollywood and it impacted me and like this should I mean, be that, out there that feedback is amazing it's it's for somebody to say you have to make this this impacted me, that's so rare for like, you know, I, I've written tons of short stories. I wrote a novel, blah, 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 blah. And like to get that kind of feedback, like that's that's insanely rare. Like, well, and for me, I live in imposter syndrome. That's literally my address is imposter syndrome. It doesn't <laughs> matter. It, none of the stuff I've done in this world matters because I faked it all. That's the way that I that's the way I operate. And uh, I know some the, artists are like, the gig that, is up. Sorry. I know. <laughs> and I, I just, so when I was getting this feedback, I was like, well, okay, they're just being nice. Right. Which yeah. is classic imposter syndrome symptoms. 
Um, and then it kept coming in from various people. Like, you know, I, I would get feedback. Like I cried reading this wow. and I was like, wow. Okay. So that, I mean, this can't be real. And eventually it just kind of settled in and I was like, okay, so let me step it up. And I started submitting to various programs in the industry in Hollywood for, for screenplays, you know, to, to get funding, get made stuff like that. I got equally good feedback and, you know, all of like the money in Hollywood was basically like, yeah, but it's super for the trans community. And so right. the the return on investment there, we can't put this on insert channel slash streaming service slash whatever here. And so, um, you know, but we really, really believe in this and wow, is it impactful? And this needs to be, this needs to get made right now in this world. And I was like, okay, so they're right about the fact that I need to make it now. And I personally need to make it now. And they're not going to help me. So cool. I will have to figure this out. And so, um, you Dang, know, that's, that's such a weird position to be in where everybody's like, we, we, we really see this as being impactful, but we're not going to help you. Yeah, totally. Right. <laughs> Which is like, well, yeah, it's it, it's kind of no different than the 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 whole like, you know, trans allegory anyway. Right. right. It's like, yeah, you should totally come out. But like, <laughs> don't look you, at me. You got this. You got <laughs> yeah. this punch on the shoulder. Like, go, go, go get him. Go get him, girl. You go, girl. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, well, you know, let's do this like for just. F well that sucks go. i'm sorry that absolutely sucks like i'm just uh, like just hearing this like yeah you go get it and then you're alone again you're just alone with this really cool thing that uh, that is impacting people and nobody wants to to touch it so, well, so you know, where, where is it standing now like uh so luckily i have friends and they have been helping contribute to two things um and, you know, I'm being very professional. Obviously, everybody's NDA'd and the whole thing. Right. And right. I had to get the rights back and da-da-da-da-da. Like, there's a whole process there for people who may not know. And so um, we're, I'm currently sort of in pre-production. I'm wow. I'm boarding. And um, uh, the, the catalyst, though, for the art side of it was that... Because um, I had done all this before you mentioned that I went to Gobelin right in Paris. And I knew that I knew that the stuff that I had done here, like I didn't want it to be 3D. It's definitely traditional animation. Yeah. Right. There are probably 3D elements and things like that because of ease of use. And they just make sense in a lot of cases if you want to move the camera in a traditional film. But I want it to be traditional animation. I want it to be alive. And I want some of it, at least some of it to be animated on paper because right. I want to make sure that I, that I honor that my past in that industry. And so, um, uh, but I knew that I needed, I needed a different input than the standard Western U S Hollywood sort of, you know, cartoon network slash, you know, uh, adult swim slash style. I needed, something different. And it was basically, I, I had been watching these short films from Gobelin forever. And yeah. there's always just something there, right? There's something that's like, you can't quite put your finger on it, but they just, they put together these really strong films. And I was like, I've got to figure this out. And I had started talking with them 
and um, uh, ended up going into their summer program, uh, you know, while talking to, to people there and went over there for two weeks. And I, you know, if it was in the water, I tried to drink as much of the water in that school as possible because it was like, I need to figure out, I want to see what their method is. I want to see what they teach. I want to, I want to see and experience it just a little bit to understand the, the mentality behind it. I'm impressed. This is, this is, you, you didn't just do some research. You actually like booked a flight, went to stay in Paris, took their program. Like that's, that's intense. That's, that's great. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it goes back to that, that terrible half my life thing. Right. It's like, there's no time to wait. Like I I want to, there's only one way that's going to figure, I'm going to figure this out and it's to do it. So what did you pick up while you were, I mean, two weeks doesn't sound very long to me, but what did you pick up while you were there that you brought back? Gosh, it was so intense. That two weeks was so (laughs) intense. Um, and the people I met there will, will probably end up working on my film. Like, you know, and so students from all over the world, it was completely international crowd there, uh, all ages, all skill levels. Hmm. Well, I won't say all skill levels. We all had to submit and talk and, right, right, right. and stuff of like a that. certain. Yeah. Caliber. Yeah. Um, but um, <clears throat> it was definitely there's just a sensitivity to characters hmm. and there is a sensitivity to the idea of not going easy on the process, honoring the process of animation, right? Like there is no copy pasting. There is no copy pasting. They don't, now I'm sure some students have snuck around and done (laughs) it, but largely there's a mandate of no copy pasting of animation drawings. Like even if you do copy paste and you do sort of an off pegs or a shift and trace or whatever, however you wanna refer to taking a, like a sheet of animation paper off the bars, and moving it to get the in-betweens lined up. And there's a process there from the old days, right? It's it's mimicking that. And they use the software TV paint, which I adore. And um, even if you do that, you're redrawing every frame. Your hand touches every frame. And I think when you commit to have your hand touch every frame, whether it's digitally or uh, pencil to paper, that there's just a sensitivity that comes through. Right. Like it's a it's a commitment to the film and the way that they the way that they sort of approach acting is very much from um, there's a sensitivity to body mechanics. You know, like while I was there, while I was there, we um, uh, learned a lot about mime because of I mean, it's Paris. Right. It's France. And so there was so much there about communication and body language and composing a shot for that. And. Like it, it just goes a little bit further than what you typically get in the average, like, you know, learn how to animate on YouTube or sign up for this master, right, you know, right, like, right. of course, it just pushes that to a different level. Interesting. That's really, that's, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. And like, you know, as somebody who hand draws all day, it, it does have such a different, you just doing the process, you come up with different solutions, you treat the volume the character differently than if just you know you're moving things around i do have a question though why um one thing that has crossed my mind while you're talking is why haven't why aren't you creating a video game (laughs) where you can you know kind of do comic book video game and all animation all at once with this story did that ever cross your mind no 
<laughs> I mean, okay, I mean, I, I sort of, the, the thing was that to get into video games from film, I would do my job during the day. And then at night I spent all of my time. Cause this was right around the time the iPhone came out hmm. and apps became a thing. Right. And so I made so many little iPhone game apps to learn, Oof. to learn game design on my own and released them and made like, I don't know, beer and pizza money, like selling apps on the app store, you know, uh, matching games, platformers. Like I did all these things to learn that stuff. So I had the satisfaction of making a game. I see, I see. And so the, the, it was great. It was good. I loved it. Um, and the industry has been so good to me as a career overall, you know, especially now that um, I'm really proud of that stuff. But it's just that, that there's this place in my heart for traditional animation that will never, ever cease to be there. I mean, it it's makes like, sense. It's where you you started at Disneyland, just seeing the pages flip from. Yeah. From, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it, there's just that there is there is, you know, you'll hear Disney animators or any animators talk in the behind the scenes or whatever about the magic that that it feels like you do this process and then it's magic when it moves, when it comes to life. And if it makes you feel something like what in the world, how is that even a thing, you know? And so it's it's a medium like no other. Right. So so let me ask you this. Uh, say your your film is fully produced, it's hand drawn, it's everything you wanted. What what would you consider? Because you also mentioned you have a million stories. What would you consider success for this for this film? Is there you know thoughts that I have are you know getting into certain uh, festivals, getting a lot of eyes, uh, you know, contributing to a greater trend and more stories that are in this light. Like, what would success be for you with this I mean film? I think all of that. I definitely, I definitely will not put a limit, right? Yeah. Like that kind but of. But I mean, there's I, not like a specific goal. Like you're really hoping to. You hit. know what would honestly what would what I would consider success is uh, two things, and yeah. they're they're equal for me. One, completing the thing, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and seeing and and knowing that I facilitated this, yeah. right? I have no intention to touch every frame of this movie. Like there, as a leader, I've learned over and over to hire smarter than me. Like that's how you succeed is you hire smarter people than you, period. But if if one if one person in the world sees this and it helps them cope with being trans or it educates a parent on some issues that trans people face and it forces them to see it from a different angle or it contributes in some positive way to just one person's just one person's life just yeah. one that is all the success i need yeah all of it i mean and so animation yeah. is such a beautiful medium to to be able to relay messages and receive messages and and i love that i think that's amazing that's a that's it's kind of why i do any animation myself i i'm just constantly thinking about who is this going to be received by? Who's this going to touch? Sometimes I have somebody's very specific in mind that I hope I hope they come across this and they see it and they like it. And that's happened before and it feels amazing. And other times, you know, I'm just trying to put something random out there that I think people will resonate with. So, yeah. Uh, so so what is it? Can you share anything about the timeline or the plot or like I don't want to press you because I know you said there's NDAs and whatever, but I'm just, no, I'm just no. curious about, you know, somebody listening and they're interested in this film. Is there anything more you can share? 
Yeah. So it's, it's honestly, and and it's written from my heart. It's written from my story. It's definitely not autobiographical, but it definitely deals with things that I deal with and, and friends that I have have dealt with and we talk about it and sort of help each other through. And it, it basically, it focuses on uh, the main sort of antagonist, I guess you would say is dysphoria. Hmm. which is which is something that I don't think ever goes away. And I think a lot of trans women, and I'm taking it from the POV of a trans woman because that is my POV and my battles with dysphoria. And um, it, it goes into the idea of dysphoria using your former self as a way to to sort of get at you. And it's interesting because, and I don't want to, I don't want to like, you know, resolve everything. I don't want to give everything out. But one, one, one aspect of this in the trans community that you face is that when you come out and you do it and you, you hit send on that Facebook post or that email, or you have that meeting like I had, or you do it and it's out into the world, these like years of boulders just lift if you come out later in life, like I did, right? You just, it, it feels so euphoric. You are on this high that you've never felt because you, you, it feels like you have a different body because you're not weighed down. Like your emotions are different. And like, it's just, it's this crazy feeling, this crazy, crazy feeling. And the thing that we sort of have to then circle back and deal with is that there were actually people who, whether they told you or not, had a meaningful relationship with your former self, the 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 person who some people would call a lie or a defense or this other person that they knew for all of these years and they had um, some sort of relationship with. And you've essentially removed that person from their life and their memories and their and they go on this journey to have to figure that out. And that is on them to do, but it's a point where you start thinking about that and you're like, wow, like I, I mean, I did, the, I made the right decision. I'm fighting this battle for myself and it is the right decision to make. And those people would say it's the right decision, but you have to acknowledge the fact that it affected them in ways that you hadn't really thought about at first. Right. Like you were always kind of outwardly perceiving yourself as as somebody else and they were taking that person at face value and building a relationship with that person. And then when you switch, now you're finally the inward person out and yep. they are trying to come to terms with, I don't I don't know if I know this new person because the old yeah. person, it doesn't really it, there's it exist or 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 whatnot. That's well, and it's like all of the memories that I share with this person. Where's right. the where's the value now? Right. Like, right. That time that time we left high school and we're singing to that song and we both loved it. Were you lying? Like was that right. like that that was a core memory for me? And I really like we bonded over that song when it came on that that Friday afternoon yeah, course, after school. Like does that is that nothing like was like where does that leave me like how do I feel about that do can I access that memory is it okay like <laughs> there's so many facets to that sort of 
thing that people have to deal with because you become yourself. Uh, so how do you, it's, it's crazy. when somebody is trying to figure this out um, for themselves, how do you approach it with them and say like, you know, this old person that you knew was, this is a, a valuable memory that we both shared, but there was something that you didn't know within it or do you have to think about this memory differently or like, how do you, how have you learned to best approach this? Um, it just takes a lot of discussion. It takes, yeah. it takes a, a lot of thoughtful talking and honesty and, and emotional labor from both sides, right, you know? Right. Um, but for the, you know, for the, for the person that has come out, it's just something that has to be navigated like everything else, right? Like it's another layer that you have to kind of chip through and be okay. And ultimately it's up to that other person to decide how they, uh, you can tell them how you would hope they, they process, right? But you can't force them to process one way or the other. They may be like, you're a liar. Like you lied to me forever. And I don't want anything to do with you because my whole friendship with you feels like nothing, you know? Um, you hope that doesn't happen. That's clearly worst case, but, uh, I was lucky in that a lot of, a lot of the people in my life did not have that reaction and were like amazing. And a lot of them were like, yeah, we could kind of tell something was, you yeah. know, th there was more to the story. Right. Yeah. But that still doesn't stop the person who came out from, from having to work through like, you know, the effect that it had on others. Right. And yeah. so, um, I mean, that, yeah. that makes total sense for me. I mean, uh, maybe in a similar light, when I came out, one of the things that helped me be okay with it is I thought all the relationships I have in my life are meaningful enough right now that I I hope they would be okay with it. And if not, then I have to I have to accept maybe losing these people or coming to good terms with this or whatnot. And luckily, you know, 99.9% .9 of the people in my life were super okay with it. And a couple of people who weren't, it just took some time. Yeah. And discussions. And um, yeah, so it's 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 interesting how, at least for me, I had so much guards and ways that I thought the world worked and all these things that I was like desperately tying together. And I felt like my whole world was just all these little knots everywhere I was holding together. And then when you because you think you're in control of like who you are and, and how people perceive you. And then afterwards, when I came out, I was like, oh, I had no idea how any of this would go. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it went right. completely differently and not to plan. And that's fine. And, it, it, you know, I ended up in a better place myself, too. And I'm, I'm very happy that you have as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Gosh, um, wow, we've talked about quite a quite a lot. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you yeah, know, we chatted about, you know, we chatted, chatted about, you know, video games and coming out as trans and in Epic Games. We chatted about when you were a kid. At Disney and what inspired you to get into animation all the way through becoming a technical animator working on this film. You know, are there topics that we that you want to share that we haven't talked about? I mean, I have my notes here, but I, I feel like we've touched on a little bit of everything. No, yeah. I mean, I I was just and and largely still am. I'm just one of those people that always, you know, and and this was this is this is for for listeners, the younger folks who are listening. Um just career career wise one of the ways that i feel like i survived a career this long um is uh just always finding creative inspiration on the side hmm. to to hustle for right and like 
you know, that was, that was where I went to, that was always my sort of safe space, right? Like when I was working at DreamWorks, I was also making comics. I see. I did that. I did two syndicated web comics for six years. So do you and, think if you didn't, you would have burnt out from pouring too much of your creative energy into your, into your career rather than safe holding it? Yeah, I think, well, I think it was a place to recharge too. Yeah. Right. Because there's going to be a point in your career where even if you're doing what you dream of doing, it still becomes a job. Right. And so I tried to always save a little piece of that creativity, that spark, that that flame for just something little on the side, something that I was interested in or something I wanted to learn or, you know, something nerdy I wanted to do. And so that helped that helped a lot. But you got to remember that's that's, you know, me battling uh, anything to keep you occupied so you don't have to face like (laughs) coming out that that's always a good solution. (laughs) That's fair. I mean, uh, do you you mentioned you uh, at the very beginning, you were overachieving in kind of your career. Uh, Was that to detract from what was going on internally or was that to prove yourself or was that just how you uh, your personality? I, I think it was initially, I think I got that way as a coping mechanism Hmm. to, to silence that part of my brain, right. That was so terrified of what was going on. And, and, you know, again, at the time, like that, that same year, 1988 was a big year for me. That's, that's when I I was born. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, nice. That's that's when I sort of realized that something was different gender wise with me, but I had no there's no Internet. There's no all we had was a library and maybe one or two librarians. And so it's like, you know, the the last thing I'm going to do is walk in there and be like, hi, can you recommend a book on why I should wear panties and not, you know, like what's happening right now? Like, can you help me at all? That was the last thing I was going to do. And so I think that turned into, well, just keep yourself busy. Like, just find something. Let's just, let's just do this and this and this, and let's get every merit badge in the book. Like, let's just keep, right. keep going down that path and it'll be fine. Yeah. And so I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's kind of, it's disheartening and sad. I'm, I'm, you know, the internet has changed things a lot, which is, which is amazing uh, for, well, amazing some aspects and not amazing. <laughs> right. But I, you know, Growing up, I also, you know, I, I had my own journey and there's just things you you like co- consciously know would not be acceptable if you tried them out. And it's uh, like there's no information to go to. And it's very much like this internal struggle that you can't share with anybody and you don't know how to deal with. And and like there's nowhere to go and you just have to keep. Anyways, that was that was also my experience. So uh, when you were talking, it was sparking memories of how I went through things myself as a kid (laughs) yeah so but yeah the internet has changed things and I and sharing stories is so important and I'm so happy that uh especially you decided to create this this impactful film which I will be looking out for and um yeah uh well okay is there anything else that uh maybe as we're wrapping up here that uh you wanted to share or or, uh, topics that we didn't we didn't hit on no I think uh, I think we covered a lot. We covered no, a we whole lot. Cover a lot. Yeah. Um, this gonna be a long one. Um, that's okay. Uh, no, well, and, and please feel free to, to share my, you know, Instagram handles and, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, of course. you know, 
if anybody, if anybody is, is feeling any kind of way, feel free to hit me up and, uh, I'll do what I can. And so, um, and of course any, like, you know, the, the, when you're making a film about any of the queer community as a filmmaker, you want to have as many queer artists working on that film as you possibly can. Like that is just sort of a mandate for me that I want a majority of, of, you know, um, queer folks and women and just working on that film. And yeah, so, <clears throat> yeah, like anybody reach out, please. <laughs> like, <laughs> because finding, finding that niche is hard enough in the industry at a professional level that finding it as, as a, an indie filmmaker level is, is even more difficult. So yeah, if you happen to hear this and are interested, please hit me up. So well, there you go. Great. Well, thank you so much, Kay, for coming on the chat. It's uh, been a, a pleasure to chat and connect. And thank you for sharing your story. And uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been great. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for uh, for having me. This has been great. Of course. And if you're listening and, uh, you know, if you want to reach out to Kay for uh, her short film that she's creating or to get in touch with her or ask her questions or anything like that, I'm going to share her Instagram, which is in the description of this chat. And it's k.draws.stuff so look out for that and that's all for now so thank you so much for listening okay bye the music for this podcast was composed by willem mando and the graphics by luhan wang i encourage you to look them up if you've enjoyed their work